Welcome to the Reader House Author Roundtable, where authors from all walks of life come together to discuss the trials, tribulations, and triumphs of publishing their books. I'm your host, Corey Graham. Join us here every Friday night at 8 p.m. or listen anytime via podcast at Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, and PodServe, to name just a few. The Author Roundtable is sponsored by Reader House Online Bookstore, where the independent new authors come first. The Spiritual Experiences of Hospice Nurses. It's the new book. It just came out. It's written by Lawrence James, and we get to talk all about this book right here at the Reader House Author Roundtable. Lawrence is sitting beside me. Lawrence, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. Can you tell me, Lawrence, what readers can expect when they open up the spiritual experiences of hospice nurses? What they're going to see is how hospice care is provided for especially redemption and spiritual needs for the patients and all the services hospice provides. Hmm. Lawrence, who were you writing this for? What were your target readers? My target readers were mostly people that have an interest in end of life. Also, those people that always avoid the topic. You know, they don't want to talk about death. If they read the book, it'll give them an insight into how things go if they ever become a hospice patient. Lawrence, what sparked you to write this? What inspired you? I've been an RN for 30 years, and 80% of my time I spent working in hospice. What inspired me, at first, I was working for an infusion company and had a contract with a hospice to provide infusion services. So I went to a nursing home where they had this little lady dying of cancer. Her pain was 10 on a scale of 0 through 10. Wow. And I started an IV on her, hooked her up to a PCA pump. It's a patient-controlled analgesia. It's a morphine pump. And I instructed the staff on the pump. And I went back early the next morning so I could instruct the DASHA staff on the pump and see how the patient was doing. She's sitting up in bed. She's laughing, eating breakfast, and communicating with her family. Wow. She's still dying. But her quality of life, why she was dying, was dramatically improved. And that's what it's all about. And it, the symptom management in hospice, families won't see those really bad symptoms of crackling and crunching and dying if they don't have those services. And it makes a really big difference in their quality when they pass. Also, for family members that are in denial, the social services, the whole staff, they work with them before and after patient passes in order to bring them to acceptance and get on with their life. Mm. Lawrence, when it comes to writing and being published and all of that, is this your first time around? It is. I'd always planned on writing a book. I kept a journal since I was 17 when I first went in the Navy. Hmm. But I chose to write on the spiritual experience of hospice nurses first because it means the most to me. Uh, being your first book, did it take you a really long time to write and put through that publishing process? It took me about six months on and off to write it. And then once I submitted it to the publisher, it took about six to eight months. And before they would even publish it, they told me, you know, we have to approve it. It goes to a committee. I told my wife, I feel like I'm being graded for my first college term paper. <laughs> but they did approve and it. This all turned out very well. That's fantastic. Lawrence, what did you find the most challenging part of the whole process for you? The editing with the publisher. Mm. There were certain things as far as context to put it in different areas. We found a happy medium. And then when that day finally came, Lawrence, and you open up your mailbox and there it is, your first copy of your book, your name's on the cover and everything. It had to be a crazy moment for you. What was that like? It was very gratifying. 
you know, I had made a promise to God years ago that I was going to do something like this, especially with the hospice. And so I felt like I was honoring my covenant with God. What are the chances that we're going to see more writing, more books from me in the future, Lawrence? I've already written three, hmm. but I still have to edit them and submit them to the publisher. And then I have another one, that, a fiction book with 20 stories of heroes and heroines of uh, modern-day America. Lawrence, where do you find your inspiration to write, especially when it comes to that fiction? What kinds of things do you take in that really fuels that fire? I took it from real things in life and expanded on them, fiction-wise. I've taken them all out of my journal. Well, that speaks to, to the importance of keeping a journal. You know, you never know what maybe you'll turn back to in the future and say, hey, I think I had something there, so I'm going to work with that. Yeah, and, you know, somebody could say something to you and I just the light goes off. And then when I do that, I always keep a pen, a pen with me now and I write down everything. That's wise. I think a lot of people are going to find peace and encouragement in the pages of this book. I encourage everybody listening to go seek this one out. It's titled The Spiritual Experiences of Hospice Nurses. It's written by Lawrence James, published by Newman Springs Publishing. It's available anywhere, so get on Amazon, go to Barnes & Noble, get on iTunes, or take a walk down the street to your local bookshop. You'll find this book. Lawrence, thank you again for coming on the show and telling me about this really important book. I had a nice time talking with you. Same here, and God bless you. Right now here at the Reader House Author Roundtable, I'm joined by author Eleanor P. Lopez, M.D. Eleanor, welcome. Thanks for being here. Oh, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. I appreciate your time with me tonight. It's exciting. You have a new book out. It's titled Frog Legs. Eleanor, can you tell me about it? Frog Legs is a book based on experience that actually happened when my children were younger. They're adults now, and I was inspired to write the book because it was a wonderful memory of an actual experience. And my children were always fascinated by nature, and they enjoyed watching the tadpoles swimming in the water on their way home from school. And they were just eager to bring some home and see what would develop. It was actually my youngest son who brought some home in a sandwich bag and then snuck them into the bird bath. <laughs> As a matter of fact, I've always had bird baths at our homes, and even now I have one at the entry of our home. And he put the tadpole in the bird bath, and over several weeks, our yard actually became a haven for these happy frog families. <laughs> <laughs> we just really enjoyed it. How long did this take you to write, Eleanor? I'd say about six months. It's in poetry form, and I had written a draft and then put it in the drawer. But then I thought, you know what? This is the year that I'm going to actually complete this. So I just went ahead and pushed forward and did it and really enjoyed myself. Fantastic. Have you ever done this kind of thing before, writing and publishing? Well, I've written a cookbook, which launched about a week ago, called My Veggie Burger Addiction. <laughs> it's, it's very healthy. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> the, the genre of writing for children, I think that's where my heart is. Mm. As much as I love cooking, and, and I do have another cookbook I'm working on, I've got seven grandchildren, and over the years, I've written a book or a little poem for each child. Mm. So I've got other ideas in the making, and I've had one accepted for publication called The Hot Air Balloon Ride that I had written for my grandson, Trent, and that's going to probably come on in 2024. I'm excited about that. Yeah, that is exciting. How exciting is it whenever you finally get your first copy in and you actually get to hold this physical thing that you've been working on for so long? 
oh man, that's a real sense of accomplishment. Mm. And I'm just filled with joy and positivity. And <laughs> <laughs> and then oh, another thing too is like my grandkids and my kids say, hey, grandma, you're a rock star. And they, they just <laughs> give them, keep giving me the thumbs up, you know, so... <laughs> That's probably the best thing about it is, you know, they dub me a rock star. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. A lot of people listening to us right now, Eleanor, are authors who are just starting out. So do you have any advice that you could give them? I think that I would advise them to write about what they know about, what they love, and what they're passionate about. That's kind of what led me with success in completing my cookbooks and then also Frog Legs. It's just a memory of what actually happened and then the idea that I can bring it to life. You know, I could, it's almost breathing life into it. Mm. I would tell other folks to do what you're passionate about. Write about what you know and what you can really get an emotional involvement with, you know, because that's how it worked for me. <laughs> Good advice. Something unique to children's books, pretty much, are the illustrations. You know, you got to kind of figure out visually how to communicate what you've written. How challenging of a process was that for you, Eleanor, getting the illustrations just right? Well, it was challenging, but the people that I worked with, we went back and forth. And if I didn't like it, I'd say, okay, could you make Boy a little chubbier? Or could you round off his boots? Or could you make mm. them look more like galoshes? And they were very good. I was very particular about what I wanted, but they were very good at accommodating me. But then I was very descriptive also. I'm an illustrator myself. However, I didn't want to do it for this project because my style is a little different. <laughs> I'm more of a portrait type artist than these pictures were in the, in the picture book. Well, I know a lot of children are going to love this book. It's titled Frog Legs. It's written by Eleanor P. Lopez, M.D. It's published by Christian Faith Publishing, and you can get it everywhere. Amazon, Barnes & Noble, iTunes, traditional brick-and-mortar stores, everywhere. Eleanor, thanks again for coming on the show, telling me about frog legs and about all your work. I had a nice time talking with you tonight. I certainly enjoyed it myself. Thank you so much for having me. I always love chatting with this author. C.L. Black, Jr. has just released the audiobook version of his second book, My Next 24, and I'm excited to find out more about it. Charles, welcome back to the Reader House Author Roundtable. Thanks for being here. As always, Corey. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's my pleasure. Charles, can you tell me about My Next 24? Yeah, sure. Actually, it's a very basic read, and it fundamentally revolves around your 24-hour cycle in which we live. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that is if you weren't going to be here tomorrow, would the previous 24 hours be something you were happy with? Mm -hmm. You know, it's not to say that you can't pull from the past and look forward to the future, but are you doing what you need to do within the 24-hour cycle of the present to be happy. Charles, how'd you get the idea for my next 24? What inspired this? Actually, it was, you know, a lot of the changes that I made in my life, you know, I wanted to become more like just active from a standpoint. And usually we look at the big picture and it's overwhelming. And, mm -hmm. you know, I had that issue as well 
and I started basically breaking everything down into increments on a daily basis, you know, which involved my goals, but also I'm trying to achieve something. And am I happy doing that? Am I satisfying these other things, these other areas in my life that are important to me as well? Mm. About how long did this take you to write and publish, Charles? Just like most of my reads, probably to write three, three and a half months, maybe. And then, of course, the publishing aspect, there's all different phases, you know, from the edit to page design to cover, you know. And one thing I hate to do is go back to my edits <laughs> time and time again, but mm. I don't want to be that guy also having misspelled words in this book. <laughs> <laughs> so I do it a number of times. Anytime they send it back, I go through the whole thing. But, of course, it's a shorter read, so it's not like some huge novel. Right. But it does get pretty tedious because I have like many projects going on with them at the same time. It can get overwhelming sometimes, especially, you know, I have a mortgage company as well. so mm. I, <laughs> And I'm a wrestling coach. I have other things going oh, wow. on. So I do try to compartmentalize it as much as possible. But sometimes, you know, I have to really make the time and push through it. And, you know, it pays off. Of course, the audiobook version of this just came out. Charles, what was it like actually hearing your book as opposed to reading it off the page? You know, Corey, I'm, I'm an audiovisual person. Like, I don't read material. I have issues with retaining what I read because it's not that I can't do that, but it puts me to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I'm, I'm an audio person anyway. And to be honest with you, you know, I was happy with my fundamental rules for Kindergarten 101 and this, my next 24. Those are the only two audio versions out right now because I've decided to actually do the audio myself. I mean, mm -hmm. not that I'm displeased. It's just that when you're dealing with self-accountability, it's something that probably, you know, with that type of material, voice inflection and things of that nature are a little different from the author that wrote it than someone else is actually narrating it. So. I kind of realized that, and so I've taken the steps necessary to learn. I mean, I've had some experience with doing commercials and, like, radio and stuff with my company, so it's not like I'm starting from scratch, but mm. just to take the time to do the research and, like, can I, how do you do a studio and, like, you know, all these things, and I kind of have it down now where, you know, I have something set up within my home that I can do. I just haven't been able to get to it. <laughs> Every time you come on the show, Charles, I hit you up for a little advice. Is there anything that you could tell to the aspiring authors, maybe specifically when it comes to audiobooks? Is there any advice that you could throw out there? Yes. Be critical and have your expectations set and don't deviate from that. Do whatever it takes to get it the way you want it to sound. Well, I think listeners and readers alike are going to really be into this book, find it very helpful. It's titled My Next 24. It's written by C.L. Black Jr., and this is published by the Audiobook Network. So go to where you get your audiobooks. Go to Audible, the Apple iTunes Store, or Amazon. You'll be able to find this. Charles, thanks again for joining me and telling me all about this work. I had a great time chatting with you again. Always, Corey. I'm looking forward to the next time. Axel's Promise. That's the new book. It just hit stores, written by Alicia Labatti. And Alicia is right here now with me at the Reader House Author Roundtable, and we get to talk all about Axel's Promise. Alicia, welcome. Thank you for joining me. It's a pleasure. Well, the pleasure's all mine. Alicia, what can readers expect when they open up Axel's Promise? 
Well, the first thing you'd expect, a very, very nonchalant, kind of, you know, lighthearted fantasy at first. And then about, like, two or three chapters in, it takes a complete 180 and goes in a very dark, violent direction. So it's going to take readers by surprise, that's for sure. What kinds of readers were you writing for? I was writing for people in my age group between, like, ages 18 through 25. That's my target age group. And how did the idea for Axel's Promise come about? What was your inspiration for it? Believe it or not, it came from an old original character that I wrote like a while back. And I said, you know what? I'm going to take this character and make a cake out of it. And what do you know? I baked that cake. <laughs> so you've been doing a little writing previous to this. Is this your first published book? This is my first published work. However, this is not my first writing, not my first piece of literature. Hmm. I've been writing since I was six years old, so I have a whole plethora of different stories and stuff that I write. This is my first published work. Did Axel's Promise take you a long time to complete, or was it a fairly quick process for you? It took me, i say, one and a half to two years to get it completely written down, but it took a little over two years to correct everything, edit everything, and then send the manuscript in to Newman Springs for even further editing and, you know, cleaning up the rough edges. And then eventually, you know, we sold it. Alicia, what did you find to be the most challenging part of the whole process, either the writing part or the publishing part? What was the toughest thing for you? The most challenging part, I would say, was coming up with unique fantasy names because, you know, I have to brainstorm very unique names. I mean, Axel's a pretty common name, but when I was coming up with, like, names for, like, the villains or, like, the different species, I had to brainstorm these names because I want them to be unique and stand out from other stories. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Alicia, you put a lot of time and work into this book, so that day comes and you finally get your book in the mail and you get to hold this physical thing that you made, your your name's on the cover and everything. What was that moment like? I was ecstatic, and my whole family was ecstatic, too. <laughs> Believe it or not, my dad was skeptical about the whole thing first. Hmm. He figured, oh, this is a scam. They're trying to scam you. This ain't going to be real. I was skeptical, too, at first, because I was like, hmm, spend all this money? But I went with my gut and said, I'm going to go for it. I'm going to do it. And what do you know? It was real. <laughs> it was no lie. The look on my dad's face was priceless. <laughs> <laughs> you should have seen it. Alicia, what are the chances that we'll see a follow-up to Axel's Promise or another kind of book from you in the future? Highly likely. In fact, the sequel is being written as we speak right now. And I'm currently on Chapter 13. Alicia, when you write a book like this, do you have the whole thing planned out or outlined from beginning to end so you know pretty much how things are going to go? Or do you start with an idea, start writing, and see where it goes from there? Well, my strategy is I think about the ending first, and then I think about what's going to happen leading up to that point. Hmm. So I say it's going to end this way, and then I say, well, what chain of events are going to lead up to that point? And then that's when I start writing. What happens if you get writer's block? What do you do? I just wait it out. Mm. I get writer's block a lot because I write one chapter, two chapters, and I have to do that, get writer's block, and I, I wait for like about a month or two months. I'm just sitting there just kind of waiting it out. And then once you get a spark of creativity, I just start writing again. It's a long process, but I got the patience of a saint when it comes to this kind of stuff. So, 
So based on everything that you went through to get this written and published, Alicia, what advice would you have now for the authors out there who are just starting out? Just go for it, man. Just send it, you know, because that's what I did. I just sent it. I just said, you know what? I'm going into this head first with no breaks. Well, I think a lot of readers are going to be really into this book. It's titled Axel's Promise. It's written by Alicia Labatti and published by Newman Springs Publishing. You can get it everywhere, like Amazon, Barnes & Noble, iTunes, and traditional brick-and-mortar stores. Alicia, it's been great talking with you tonight. Thank you so much for taking your time to tell me all about Axel's Promise. You're welcome. Well, if you've been listening to the Reader House Author Roundtable for any amount of time, you're probably going to recognize my next guest, author Hope Baldwin. Hope, welcome back. Thank you so much again for joining me. Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. We're talking about Fearful Fanny, the reality of the fearful becoming fearless. And this time, we're talking about the audiobook. Congratulations on getting that out there. Thank you. So, can you remind us, just catch us up a little bit on what you've written in Fearful Fanny? It's in regards of a little girl who's fearful and slowly becomes fearless with the support of her family. And what readers were you speaking with here? What audience were you writing for? Oh, children's. It's a children's book, young adult, mostly for children. Hmm. And now the audiobook is out. Hope, what convinced you to produce the audiobook for this? As young girls, many of them go through a fearful moment or time in their lives, and with support of family and friends, they become fearless, most of them, I think, anyways. So I thought it would be good to let other children know that, you know, you're not alone, that other children go through fearful stages in their lives, and they overcome it. They get through it. Hmm. That's a wonderful message, Hope. And what was it like, being that this is the audiobook now, what was it like hearing this book as opposed to reading it off the page? It was amazing. You know, when I look back, I thought, you know, maybe I should have I should have represented it and I should have did the audio book now that I'm thinking about it. <laughs> but it was amazing. The person who read the book did an amazing job. Was it a challenging process finding the right voice for this book? Yes, it was, because I was going back and forth if I wanted a male or a female. Mm. So it was, you know, it was a process. But I got through it. It was a process. The person that I selected did an amazing job. And for other authors who are considering going the audiobook route, Hope, do you have any advice for them? Anything that you can tell them they should expect along the way? No, I think they should just do it because if you want to get your work out there, you should do it audio and through the book process. I think audio will increase your chances of getting your work out there if that's what they want to do because you have more people viewing your work. Hmm. And Hope, are you working on anything now? Can we expect more writing from you? Yes, I just published a book, Church Through My Eyes. As a matter of fact, it came out last month. So I'm considering if I want to do the audio, but I would want to actually do the voice this time. So I'm trying to strategize how I'm going to go about this. I Hope, when you think about the things that you write, are there people in your life who inspire you, encourage you, and motivate you when it comes to things like this? My granddaughter, my family, my friends, my parents, you know, everybody brings something different to the table. Mm. And I take what I can, depending on the situation at the time, from the lessons learned prior to writing the book. Hope you're throwing a lot of great messages out there, and I think helping a lot of people. So for you, what's the most rewarding aspect of it all, of being a published author? The process. 
Mm. As I'm writing it, you know, sometimes it makes me realize how grateful I am and how grateful I should be about the things that I have and the things that I accomplished because I'm in a really good place right now. I mean, I didn't think that I would have three books published by now, but I do. I mean, a lot of people didn't think I would be able to do it, but I did. So I kind of pushed through a lot of my challenges and I'm, I'm happier for it. Wonderful. Does the writing ever get difficult for you, Hope? Maybe you get writer's block or just challenged for what you want to write next? I never get writer's block. I still never gotten writer's block because I don't say I'm going to write a book. A book comes to me and then I write it. So it's already there. I don't have a quote as I'm going to write one book a year or two books a year. I don't have that. It just comes to me, you know, a book and I just start free writing it. And then when the money's come, you know, I just process it and get published. I have like five or six books already written that I didn't publish yet. Oh, wow. Yeah. So one was published last month and I have one on my desk as we speak that I'm going to start processing immediately. Well, I think a lot of readers, a lot of listeners are going to love this book. It's titled Fearful Fanny, The Reality of the Fearful Becoming Fearless. This is written by Hope Baldwin published by the Audiobook Network. So go anywhere that you grab up your audiobooks, like Audible or the Apple iTunes Store or Amazon. You can find this there. Hope, it was wonderful speaking with you again. I hope we get to do this again soon. Thank you. Me too. Thanks again for having me. The Terrible, Terrible Tiger. This is a wonderful book written by Robin Wobbly Ann Davis, who unfortunately passed away in 2019. But her husband, Lloyd Davis, is joining me right now here at the Reader House Author Roundtable. We're going to talk about Robin. We're going to talk about the terrible, terrible tiger. Lloyd, welcome. Thank you so much for joining me tonight. You're welcome, and thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it. I appreciate your time. So, Lloyd, first of all, can you tell me about Robin, her life, and about this book, how it came into being? Yeah, well, Robin was my second wife. She passed away, as you said, before 2019. She grew up in Orem, Utah, and her dad was a fireman. And so when they were little kids, her dad told her and her siblings stories. You know, he made, he made them up, you know, when they go to bed and whatever and that, and whenever they wanted the stories. And the terrible, terrible tiger was my wife's favorite childhood story her dad made up and told her. Mm. And all the siblings were told that story. And, and Robin, we were married for 21 years, and she decided that she wanted to have, write this book and dedicate, based on her dad's story, she told them to and dedicate it to her dad. Had passed away near 2000, so that's what the whole thing's about. Now, when Robin got to work on this and wrote this book, was she an experienced author at all, or was she new to this? No, her first book, and she just loved the story so much, and she wanted to honor her father and get it started, the book published. So, mm. would you say this is a book for younger children, or could a little older children enjoy this as well? I'd say more, I'd say a little older children, maybe, you know, I mean, ages seven, six, seven, five above, you know, it's really, it's really written towards children in the languages. So I'd say, as long as they can understand what the words mean, it's good for them. I mean, I don't really know age-wise, but I'm sure five on up would be great for them, five years older up. Do you know, was Robin planning on maybe writing more after this and getting more out there? No, this is the only one she wanted to do. She just wanted to get this mm. book. She felt just a need and a deep desire to have this done because she loved her father dearly. And when he passed away, she wanted to do something to honor him. And this book was her way of honoring him. And that's all she wanted to do, do this and then just go on with her life. Were you the one who took Robin's book then through the whole publishing process? Yes, I am. 
when my wife Robin passed away, she had it written, but she could never find Illustrator. They really got stuff back to her in time. So she was working on she had all the text done. But I decided when she passed away, I need to do this for her. So it is my mission, it was a goal, to have Robin's book published in honor of her. And so I got illustrations done, the whole process. It was my way of honoring Robin because I want to get this done for her. She wanted to be a published author, have this story out there, and I want to make it happen for her. You know, she passed away. Hmm. Of course, it's out in audiobook format now. So, Lloyd, what was it like hearing this book as opposed to reading it off the page? I tell you, hearing it, I didn't write it, but hearing it really just brought it to life to me. Mm. I read the words and I edited a little bit of the words with page publishing, but hearing it come being read just came to life. That's what, that's what I can describe it. It just came to life for me. Mm. I feel it went very well and Robin would have been proud of it. And it was amazing. I had a female reader who read it, and it was awesome. It was very, very well done. I just, I'm going to be prouder of it. Lloyd, when you think about everything that you did in the publishing process, what part of it would you say was the most challenging for you? I guess the whole it was just getting illustrations down. Mm. They gave me several options. Some I didn't like, some I did like. I just, it was getting illustrations right or correct was what was difficult for me, most difficult, because I wanted to be not cheesy, you know what I mean? Mm. But I wanted to be also that young kids could appreciate them and like them and love them and that. And so it appealed to a younger audience, I, I should say. And that was difficult. But I think I found really good illustrations that fit really well. Fantastic. A lot of people listening to us right now, Lloyd, are authors who are just starting out in this whole world of writing and publishing. Do you have anything that you picked up along the way of publishing this that you could throw out as advice? Well, I tell you, with public with Robin's book, I mean, and my book, the number one advice I can say is I learned along the way is be true to your why. Why you're writing your book? What is it? What's your gut down the bottom gut feeling? Your bottom line of why you're writing the book? Just keep in touch with that. And if you do that, it's hard to stray off. Right? I mean, you can't go off in the weeds sometimes, which I have in my book. Mm. But just stay committed to that, and that can see you really through and just stay the course. It's great advice. I know a lot of readers are going to be touched by the pages of this book. It's titled The Terrible, Terrible Tiger. It's written by Robin Wobbly Ann Davis, and it's published by the Audiobook Network. So pick it up anywhere where you get your audiobooks, like Audible or the Apple iTunes Store or Amazon, everywhere. Well, Lloyd, thank you again for taking your time to tell me about Robin's wonderful book. I had a nice time talking. Me too. Thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to do this, and I'm so grateful for it. Appreciate it. I'm delighted that sitting down right next to me here at the Reader House Author Roundtable is author Tina M. Moore. Tina, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being here with me tonight. I look forward to getting to talk to you about my book, so I'm excited to be here. I'm excited you're here. I'm excited about that book. It's called The Doleful Creatures of Outer Darkness. Uh, Tina, what's this book all about? The Doleful Creatures of Outer Darkness is a book that helps the reader identify the supernatural activity behind some of the battles they may be facing in this life. For instance, the stubborn obstacles or the depleting attachments in the form of people or toxic relationships, maybe even like the lingering addictions, Mm -hmm. sometimes the mountains that refuse to move out of their way, and what is really at the root of these problems and entanglements. And In my own life, I struggled with depression for six long years, and I had kind of been living life the way I'd wanted, and I just hit a wall, so to speak. So I went back to my roots and delved into a study of deliverance, and I realized that at the root of our problems sometimes are demon spirits. 
you know, the Bible talks about spirits that, you know, compel you to a realm of outer darkness, kind of a metaphorical place of being outside of the joy or the light or the peace of God. And I begin to notice that, especially through the Old Testament, I noticed that this demonic spirits were listed as animals, hence the doleful creatures. And in the Garden of Eden, even from the beginning, Satan embodied the serpent. And in the Old Testament, there were lists of clean and unclean animals. And in the New Testament, Jesus said that believers would tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. And I knew that wasn't talking about actual scorpions. So I was thinking, what is this? And even Satan in the New Testament was referred to as a roaring lion who walks about seeking whom he may devour. And then, you know, Jesus throughout his parables taught about birds of the air that would swoop down and steal the seeds of the word of God when people would read it and get it into their heart, that these birds of the air would come down and steal the seeds. And so I began to do a study on these entities. And that's when God began to reveal their characteristics to me and my authority in Christ to trample on these metaphorical serpents and scorpions and how each one is kind of subcategorized into animals. And each has their own types of characteristics that bring their own types of fears and rejections and things that cause us to row toward the outer darkness and kind of self-destructive behaviors. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we feel backed into a corner and we don't know how we arrived there. And we're like, how do I get out of this? And that's really when I began to study the nature of the enemy and how that he'll take little bitty things and little bitty roots under the surface within us. And he'll begin to like control us and have us self-destructively rowing in the direction of outer darkness. That is predominantly what this book is about. Mm. Tina, how long did this take you to write and get published? I can't like narrow it down to a specific length of time. I know it, it was probably took eight to 10 years, I'm, I would say, to write this book. And really, I was going through the process myself. Mm. And I began to write these things down as God was giving me revelation and insight into them. So I can't really narrow it down to just maybe, but it was probably a decade that mm. I was able to compile some of the revelations that God had given me throughout my personal experience. Then that day came, Tina, and you got your first copy in the mail. And you actually got to hold this thing you've been working on for so long. What was that day like? Honestly, I wish that I could say that it gave me just a rush to be able to hold my own copy in my hand. But I really just had already seen this experience through the eyes of faith. And when it manifested, I'd already seen it. I'd already kind of known that this was going to happen. And You know, I had already believed God for it and said so many prayers and sowed so many seeds of intercession so that I could one day put an audience of of readers that might be struggling with the same problems. I had had prayed that I could help them advance because I had looked for so many answers for so long. And it felt as if it was laborious in the process of just digging these, these revelations out and gaining back my authority that I just had yielded to the enemy throughout the course of time and did not know it. But, you know, it was some type of different experience. But I'll I'll be honest, I mean, I had already witnessed the whole process through the eyes of faith. So when it actually materialized, it didn't feel that much different. Well, I think this book is going to inspire and help a lot of readers. It's titled The Doleful Creatures of Outer Darkness. It's written by Tina M. Moore, published by Christian Faith Publishing, It's available everywhere, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, iTunes, traditional brick-and-mortar stores, everywhere you buy your books. Tina, thank you again for joining me and telling me about your work. It was nice chatting with you tonight. It's been great. It's been fun. Thank you so much. 
So many of us love the 23rd Psalm, and I've got a book right here that takes readers deeper into this scripture. It's titled, Straw for Stray Sheep, A Preacher's Perspective of the People's Psalm. Now, this one's written by Quasi Torde Torvike, and Quasi is right here with me now, and we're going to talk all about this book. Quasi, welcome to the show. Thank you for joining me. Thank you so much, Corey. Quasi, can you tell me all about what we can expect when we read Straw for Stray Sheep? Sure. My pleasure. Uh, Straw for Stray Sheep is about the 23rd Psalm, as you mentioned earlier. It's actually an exegesis of the psalm that offers the reader an opportunity to interact and reflect on the scriptures at the end of each chapter. Quasi, what was the spark? What inspired you to sit down and get started on this book? Curry, that's a very, very interesting question. <laughs> I had the opportunity to speak at a church member's mother's life celebration. The mother died in Africa, and she wanted to have a celebration of friends and family members of the mother's life. And so she handpicked the 23rd Psalm for me to come and speak to them about that passage, and all because that was the mother's favorite passage in Scripture. So, Corey, I prepared, I did all my research and went to this event, and it turned out that it was more of a social gathering than, quote-unquote, a church function. Hmm. And so my presentation was not the best received. The best way I can get people to really look at, especially my notes, and what the psalm has to offer is to put it in a book. So that was the genesis of it all. Hmm. And how long of a process was it for you? Once you started, you wrote it, and then got it published, had to go through all those hoops. Really, I started dreaming about this in 2010 in October 2010. But I wouldn't say I spent a whole lot of time on it every day, so to speak. I will write about a page or half a page, a paragraph, whatever. And then the next time I look at it, maybe a month or two months down the line. So it took about 13 years, if you will, to put it all together. But I was not a full-time writer, if you will. Is this the first time you've been published, Quasi, or have you done things like this before? No, this is my first published book. I've written lesson plans for churches in the mission field, Africa, where I've served. They put in booklet form, but this is really my first published work. Hmm. So when that first copy finally came in the mail and you got to actually hold your book for that first time, Quasi, what was that like for you? Wow, Curry. I mean, I I felt so delighted. I mean, this was like I have finally accomplished what I set out to do. And that excitement of having my first published book was just uh, amazing, indescribable. I was also excited that I, I have something out there that the Lord could use in reaching a lot of souls across the world. I mean, that is really amazing. Quasi, do you have any advice, anything that you picked up along the way that maybe you could offer to the first-time authors out there? 
from my own experience, I would say to any first-time publisher, don't give up on your dream of publishing a book. You know, a lot of things may come your way that may be a distraction, but do not give up. No matter how long it takes, do not give up. Mm. It will come to an end one day, one day. Great advice. Well, I do think a lot of readers are going to be drawn closer to the Lord when they read this book. It's titled Straw for Stray Sheep, A Preacher's Perspective of the People's Psalm. This is written by Quasi Torde Torvique and is published by Christian Faith Publishing. You can get it everywhere. Amazon, Barnes & Noble, iTunes, and also traditional brick-and-mortar stores. Quasi, thank you again for joining me and telling me all about your work. I had a great time. Thank you so much, Corey. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Toki's adequately incomplete compendium of paraphernalia of the average stoner. That's the new book. It just came out. It's written by Jason R. Anthony. And I'm really happy that Jason is right here with me now at the Reader House Author Roundtable. We get to talk all about this book. Jason, welcome. Thank you for being here. Thank you. I appreciate it. I do. I appreciate your time. Jason, can you tell me all about Toki's adequately incomplete compendium of paraphernalia of the average stoner? Oh, it's definitely a mouthful. <laughs> it's basically like not necessarily an instruction guide, but kind of like a journal or a list of all the things that are associated with smoking generally. And that's just with the basics. I haven't quite got into the more refined and concentrates yet. I'm more still on the flower side of life. And would you say that this is solely for people who partake in cannabis, or do you think people outside of that group would also get something out of this? Oh, definitely outside of the group, we definitely get something out of it. I mean, it's worth at least knowing. I believe you should know. If you're going to do something, you should know everything about what you do. And honestly speaking, most stoners or people that are within this area, they don't actually know what pipes do or bongs do. They get them because they look pretty. Mm -hmm. They don't get them based on the way they're designed or why they're designed. So that's kind of why I put it together. So can you tell me about when you got that spark, that inspiration that made you say, hey, I, I got to sit down and start writing this book? I was driving home from work night shift. So it was like really, really early in the morning, about 8 a.m. And on my way home, I just lost smoking a blunt. I kind of just had the idea to, you know, an instructional guide. It kind of changed over the first year or so that the original idea was a little bit different, but the premise was still the same. It was to kind of just show everybody the things I didn't think they would realize or notice. Hmm. How long of a process was this for you? Almost four years. Then, wow, when that first book finally comes in the mail and you finally get to hold it for the first time that you've been working on for so long, Jason, what's that moment like? That moment for me was extremely bittersweet because I started the book and when I got to the point of publishing it, I found out it was going to cost a lot of money and I decided I couldn't do it. And my wife was really upset because she's seen that I went through like almost two and a half years of the process and she was upset. She helped me get a tablet to do all my artwork and draw it on the tablet digitally rather than on pen and paper. Oh, wow. And when she passed away two years ago, I kind of set it in motion that I had to finish the book for her for no other reason. And I buckled down and I did everything I could. So when the book came, the first time the real book actually came, I, I broke down in tears. And it was a terrible day because she wasn't there to see it. It's awesome, but it's really terrible at the same time for me. Now, Jason, what does your writing background look like? Before you wrote this and got published, did you have any experience in that? 
Nope, not at all. I'm an artistic person. I draw, I paint, mm. I write, anything that I just, if I like it, if I see, oh, there's clay, let's just turn it into something. I try it. And I'm all right. I'm an amateur. But I, like I said, the writing I did, it was an idea. And everybody said it was a good idea that I talked to the few people that were in my life. And my wife supported me on it. So I completed it. Jason, would you do it again? Do you think you got another book in you somewhere down the road? I'm actually working on a few different projects that are associated with this. I'm mm. going to continue forward with the brand of Toki and Friends. That's going to encompass all the characters in the book. And I'm writing a few other things I'm working on and just creating some physical items like an actual stoner's toolkit, that sort of thing. I'm sure you learned a lot along the way of writing and publishing your first book. So, Jason, is there anything you picked up along the way that you could throw out there as some advice for the first-time authors listening? Oh, just keep all your notes, everything you write down in your notebooks, keep them because you never know they, they might add into something later. You know, if you write down a note about one subject, that idea might translate into something else later on. So you could use it later. Don't give up. It's not as glorious as everyone thinks it is the way Hollywood portrays the fact that, you know, mm. books are, it's not like you write a book, everybody says, oh, it's a great idea. And they pay you millions of dollars. That's not what it is. It's actually a little bit of work, but it's worth it once you get to that point. Well, I think a lot of readers are really going to be into this book. I encourage everybody listening out there to go check it out. It's titled Toki's Adequately Incomplete Compendium of Paraphernalia of the Average Stoner. This is written by Jason R. Anthony published by Newman Springs Publishing. And of course, it's available everywhere, Amazon and Barnes & Noble, iTunes, and also traditional brick-and-mortar stores. And Jason, thank you again for coming on the show and telling me all about this book. I had a really nice time. Thank you. I appreciate it. I really do. I would like to welcome back to the Reader House Author Roundtable, Randall J. Ruska. Randall, welcome. Thank you for joining me again. Thank you for asking. It's very exciting. The audiobook version of Epiphany Through Songs just came out. So what can readers and listeners expect whenever they listen to this book? Well, hopefully they can enjoy some music and relate spiritually to some of the insights that I've had writing the book and going through life. So that's what I'm hoping for, a spiritual and educational experience. Hmm. Randall, what kinds of readers were you speaking to with this book? Well, I'm trying to cover a large age group, you know, from uh, teenagers to I'm 70 years old and older. So I have music covering quite a, about a 50-year time span and from different genres. So hopefully I'm trying to appeal to a wide audience. Hmm. And before Epiphany Through Songs, had you ever published before this? No, this is my first published book. Oh, congratulations. Yeah, I really have no background in publishing or music or education or degrees or I can't sing a tune and I don't play a musical instrument. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Randall, can you tell me how have the experiences in your life affected what you've written here? Well, most of the songs I've had an emotional, spiritual experience with it. And that's why I chose these songs uh, covering from my teenage years right up to about 10 years ago. So the songs have touched me uh, emotionally and spiritually. Hmm. And can you tell me about how you wrote this book? What was your method for writing it? Well, 
or songs that I've said that were part of my life. And when I heard these songs, why I listened to them and I was kind of open to the spirit and what was going to come forward. And I got some inspiration. And after the inspiration, I started writing down the lyrics and then trying to back up some of my spiritual thoughts by scripture passages from the Old and New Testament. Randall, did it take a long time to get the audiobook version of this produced? It's about six months. I guess I had to have it published first, and then it was about a six-month process to get the audio part finished. Hmm. And considering everything that you've learned along the way of doing this, do you have any advice that you could offer to authors who are just starting out? Well, I would just stick with the task. You're going to run through some dry spells, and you're going to run through some discouragement, but just hang in there and don't force the issues and let it flow, and it'll come to you. Just stick with it. Good advice. Looking down the road, Randall, do you see yourself maybe publishing more books? A possibility. I don't have anything planned, but I might do something something down the road, yes. Hmm. What would you do differently next time, Randall? Was there something along the way that you think you would change up? No, I, I still plan to be using music and been a part of my life and it's been inspirational and probably use the same format and try to back up some of my insights with scripture passages. Hmm. Randall, what person would you say has most inspired you to write this book? Well, the person that mostly inspired me would have been the uh, Father Richard Rohr, the Center for Action and Contemplation in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Although he never encouraged me to write a book, a lot of the insights that I have came from a lot of his works and writings. Hmm. I think a lot of readers and listeners will be blessed by this book. It's called Epiphany Through Songs. It's written by Randall J. Hruska, and it's published by the Audiobook Network. Take a look on Audible or the Apple iTunes Store or on Amazon, anywhere that you go for your audiobooks, and you'll find this book. Randall, it's been wonderful speaking with you again and learning all about your work. I had a nice time talking today. Thank you. I appreciate it and enjoyed it. We hope you enjoyed this edition of the Reader House Author Roundtable, where authors from all walks of life come together to discuss the trials, tribulations, and triumphs of publishing their books. We hope to see you back here every Friday night at 8 p.m. or listen anytime via podcast at Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, and PodServe, to name just a few. The Author Roundtable is sponsored by Reader House Online Bookstore, where independent new authors come first.